This episode is sponsored by Baxter Blue. Use the code SWS25 to save. Today's guest is TEDx talker and best-selling author, Dr. Libby Weaver. As a world-renowned nutritional biochemist, Libby has made a name for herself with her holistic approach to health. We learn about the medicinal power of joy, why stress is ruining our fertility, and that there's so much more to thriving than just food or exercise. Do yourself a favor and hear what Dr. Libby has to say. Dr. Libby, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me join you. No, the pleasure is all ours. Now, before we get straight into the questions, we're going to ask you the question that we ask all our guests when they come on the show. And that is, if we were to take you on a night out, what is your DJ song request and what would we order you to drink? (laughs) It is my DJ song request would be Late Night by Odessa and that's because I went went to see them live in Melbourne about three years ago and it was one of the best live music events I've ever I've ever been to so that would bring back great memories and I love a hazy IPA on tap so a beer but ideally a, a tap beer like a hazy ipa on tap was yeah. the drink that would get me so oh so Yum. good i'm definitely leaning towards the beers like a stone and wood with mm. like a little bit of live music it's so nostalgic for me we always feel so funny asking like the health conscious yeah. individuals what they like to drink well like you know people like to party too <laughs> yeah exactly and it's nice to hear that um you know these health conscious people that we look up to you want to have a stone and wood or you know, listen to some live music too. It's part of being healthy. It's, I think people think that health is black and white and it's mm. not. And, and live music and a beer is good for your soul. If, if that's something that spins your tires, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but that's really fun for me. And it's not like I'm going to do it every night of the week, but yeah. I might do it six times a year. And that's a really good, it's how often we do things, isn't it? That okay. impacts on how we feel and function and look. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, for those who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and who Dr. Libby Weaver is? <laughs> sure. So I went to university, I grew up in Tamworth in country New South Wales in Australia with chickens in the backyard and we grew some of our own food. So I had a taste of nutrition pretty early on in my life and mum and dad used to talk to me about, you know, an orange is a great source of vitamin C and that's really good at helping to decrease the length of cold, it's good for your immune system, that type of thing. And then I went off to university in Newcastle and I was there for 14 years, which I know makes me sound really thick and like I failed everything or went to the pub too much, which may or may not be true. But I originally, but I loved learning and I still do. So I originally studied nutrition and dietetics and then went on and did a PhD in biochemistry. So there's a lot of science in my background. Uh, But since then, I've worked with people one-on-one for just over 20 years. I've worked in some big health retreats throughout Australia and it's really my 14 years at uni and my 20 plus years of clinical practice has allowed me to create what I call my three pillar approach, which is, and the three pillars are the biochemical, the nutritional and the emotional. So I look at absolutely everything through those three lenses. 
and I've written 13 books and I get to do speaking around the place, which I really love. Yeah, amazing. Wow. It sounds like <laughs> sounds like you're doing a lot. And I know for me personally, I was introduced to the work that you do from an amazing podcast, The Melissa Ambrosini Show. I absolutely love listening to her podcast and the guests that she have on, yourself included, are amazing. And from there, you know, I read two of your books and they're just the way that you explain health, um, you know, in layman's terms, but you also, you give it the, what's the word, the like essence that it truly needs. Cause I feel like a lot of the time when people explain in layman's turn, they kind of dumb it down or make it not as serious. So I, I just love the way that you write and yeah, all the work that you do. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I try to do that. It's when I was, I was given a great gift when I was doing my PhD every year we had to present our research and our experiments and where we were up to at that point. That's very sciencey and very geeky. And you stand up in front of all your professors and the whole faculty and, and, and speak about what you've done for the year. And then at the end of one of mine, one year, one of the professors said, okay, now pretend you're doing a t- an interview for TV and explain it to the public. Mm-hmm. And he put me on the spot and made me do that. But it was the best gift because I thought it taught me to be able to do that, but it also taught me that that's where all the usefulness is because if all this research gets done and people understand how the body works, we need to be able to translate it. So it means a lot. Thank you for what you just said. You touched on your three-pillared approach to health. Can you dive into that a little bit more with us? So, yeah, and it so the nutritional side of things, that was my original training. And in the beginning for me, that was absolutely everything. So, I felt like food was medicine or the opposite and I really believed in the power of food and and I still do and that's that is still true but once you start working with people one on one you realize that there's a lot more to it and so I started to see for example the effect of stress hormones and stress hormones change our biochemistry so that then led to the next pillar being created because when for example when we have high circulating levels of adrenaline one of our stress hormones it changes our blood pressure it diverts our blood supply that's normally so fantastic in supporting our digestive system it diverts blood away from digestion to the periphery so in other words some people can be bloated because of food because of the nutritional pillar but some people are bloated because of stress Mm. and it's not talked about enough so that was sort of how the second pillar formed I was looking at the biochemical flow-on effects of particularly the constant relentless production of stress hormones and then the third pillar the emotional pillar I really set about trying to answer the question why do we do what we do even though we know what we know which makes your eyes roll around in the back of your head, I know. But it's it's because I was sitting working with people, realising they're really intelligent, they're really frustrated with themselves and what they're physically experiencing in their body. They say to me, I'll do anything to change and get a different outcome, and then they can't. So it made me realise that there's a lot more to us looking after ourselves than just nutrition and biochemistry because our beliefs drive our behaviour. So that's why I feel that examining our health without those three pillars is incomplete. You can still get results. You can still get an effect, absolutely, by focusing on one or two of them. But the big kahuna is quite often in the beliefs and that's where everything shifts because 
a lot of people have great knowledge, but they don't act on it mm. and, or, or certainly not consistently. And so because if you don't believe you're worth taking care of, then anything I say about eating more nutritious food and eating less processed food, you'll be able to do it for a little, for a short amount of time, but you won't be able to do it consistently because ultimately believe you're not worth taking care of. So that's why I created that three pillar approach. So it was really holistic and yeah, to address all the parts that can disrupt us being our healthier selves. Yeah, it's great. It makes a lot of sense. It kind of reminds me of the analogy of, you know, plants need not just sunshine to grow, you know, they need water, they need, I don't know, the environment. The environment. All so many factors are involved and we often think it's just, you know, if we get this one thing right, then we'll be fine. But no, it so many things yeah, come into it. It's such a holistic thing. And yeah. I was similar in that, you know, in my early twenties, I was like I'm eating organic, like I'm doing the things, you know? <laughs> and then it's like, well, no, actually what's going on in my inside? What's my kind of like thought patterns all the time? And how's my mental health? Um, and yeah, like you said, your beliefs as well. So I love that it's, you know, such a holistic approach. And I feel like over the last two years, like we personally know how emotionally taxing um the whole past two years have been on our bodies and also our minds. And um, like I mentioned before, we've read a couple of your books and one of them's The Invisible Load. Can you talk to us about this book and like just give us a bit of a snapshot overview and also your why behind this book? Oh, thank you. That's such a lovely question. Uh, So I wrote The Invisible Load because I wanted people to have new skills as a way to approach stress because I think so many people just think life is stressful now it's just how it's always going to be and I can't change that and I wanted people to be able to work out what stress actually is for them as individuals so that instead of just living with stress or feeling like you have to try to manage stress which feels impossible most of the time I wanted people to see what led them as an individual to produce stress hormones so that they could produce fewer of them in the first place. So again, using the three pillars, uh, the book, all sorts of parts of my work explain the physical aspects of that. So sometimes the invisible load is coming from poor nutrition or from a digestive system that's not working effectively. It can be coming from uh, the constant relentless output of stress hormones disrupting our menstrual cycle. So for example, in our brain, there's a region called the hypothalamus and its its job is to ask, am I safe? So it looks out into the environment. Is there food? Uh, is there oxygen? What's the temperature? Can the human survive in this environment? It also though looks into our blood. So it'll look into our blood and say, okay, what's there? Oh, wow, there's a huge amount of adrenaline there. And humans have been on the planet for about 150,000 to 300,000 years. The jury's a bit out on precisely how long we've been here, but it's a really long time. And if you think about the rate of change we've undergone, even in the last 75 years, I call it the commercial era. So from the back end of World War II, so around 1945, the last sort of 75, 77 years, We've seen the introduction of pesticides to the food supply, the introduction of TV, credit, colour TV, credit cards, mobile phones, the internet, social media. It's a huge amount of change like we've never experienced before. Mm. And we're really capable as human beings. We're so capable of doing, 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 
But what I want people to deeply appreciate is that we've never asked our bodies to live like this before. And because it's so brand new to us, a lot of people's bodies are rebelling. And so when we have high circulating levels of adrenaline that might be there because we perceive a lot of pressure and urgency in our day, your listeners are going to want to block their ears at this next thing I say, because caffeine leads the human body to make adrenaline. We might be making adrenaline because we're consciously or unconsciously worrying about what someone's thinking of us. So whatever it is that leads us to make adrenaline, the body has not yet learned to discern between the adrenaline we make when our life is literally in danger, which is what it meant for the previous 150,000 years. So let's say if a car drives down in front of us, we need that stress response. Mm -hmm. But the body can't discern between that adrenaline and the adrenaline we make when when we feel overwhelmed by our emails or worrying about a conversation we had with a certain person three weeks ago, it's all the same to the body. So when the hypothalamus sees that adrenaline there, it says to the pituitary gland in the brain, we're not safe. You need to tell all your people that we're not safe. So the pituitary's job is to talk to the ovaries, the adrenal glands, the thyroid. So all the glands in the body that make hormones And she then says, well, we're not safe. You guys now need to respond appropriately. So that means the adrenals churn out stress hormones. But it can mean that the signal from the pituitary to the ovaries to ovulate, that can be shut off. Mm. Because if if the pituitary lets you ovulate, it means you can conceive. And with all the adrenaline, your body's getting the message that your life's in danger. So it doesn't want you to bring a baby into a world where it thinks you're not safe. Mm-hmm. And the trouble, obviously, you can hear in the way I'm describing that, that fertility problems can come from that. Mm. But the problem with not ovulating is, beyond, is, is fer, take, we've got to take it further than that because when we ovulate, we make a huge big surge of progesterone, which is a powerful anti-anxiety agent and it's a diuretic. So it allows you to get rid of fl- excess fluid. And if you don't ovulate you won't be making progesterone because we make a big surge of progesterone from the ovary after we ovulate. So the invisible load goes into all the physical sides of the constant relentless output of stress hormones, but then it also digs into that other part I just touched on, which is our perceptions, our perceptions of pressure and urgency and essentially worrying about what other people think of us. So I teach, I teach people in that book how to, I I talk about a thing called forward words and they're the traits that we need other people to see in us. And it's a fun and insightful exercise to do. So ask yourself, how do I need other people to see me? And you might write down kind, thoughtful, selfless, or competent, hardworking, efficient, intelligent, perfect is a one I've commonly heard. You've got to dive into that and then list out whatever perfect is for you. So you write down whatever these traits are that you need others to see in you. And then the next time you're stressed, pause and consider, am I perceiving someone is seeing me in the opposite way to one of these forward words? Mm -hmm. Because most of the time the answer will be yes. So I did some focus groups when I was researching the book and with women of different age groups. And in the 18 to 25 year old age group, the most common things that stressed them out were their body image and social media. And when I say that to older groups, they, they don't understand it. They're a bit judgy, judgy, to be honest, of that. Mm-hmm. Because what stresses them out is they'll say things like running late stresses me out. So, but what I want people to see, because if you peel the layers back on all of that, it's the same thing. 
our stress can be our one of our most magnificent teachers if we allow it to be because it shows us where we allow others to judge us. So for the younger group, social media, part of what it is for a lot of people in that 18 to 25-year-old group is they're concerned about the way others are seeing them in their images, how many likes they get, the comments, whereas for an older generation, so the 35 to 55, they're not worried about that. They're using things like Instagram for watching funny dog videos or showing their best friend (laughs) photos of their kids or it's not for the likes. Yeah. For the 35 to 55, when running late came out as one of the big things that stresses them out, if you think about it, running late in and of itself isn't stressful. It's usually we're worried about what the person who's going to be on the receiving end of our running lateness. Mm. We're worried about what they'll think of us. And so we, we essentially fear the disapproval of others. And that is a huge part of the load that we carry and we often can't see it. No. And it's something that I kind of didn't even consider when I think of, you know, the load or a stress that I take on. It, it is... Um, yeah, such a big part. This is a little bit of like a left, um, what do you call it? Like a left of centre or whatever. What's the term? <laughs> yeah, no, just not not a question that we have on the piece of paper. But when you mentioned fertility and how stress affects um, fertility, Lara and I are kind of at the age that a lot of our friends are having babies and fertility just seems to be a question that's talked about a lot and even more so people struggling to fall pregnant. Do you think the stress of, you know, social media and everything like that in our environment plays a role into infertility or do you purely think that it's like biochemical? No, it's stress plays an enormous role in disrupting fertility. Unfortunately, there are numerous things now in that environmentally that are also disrupting fertility, Mm. but stay on topic yes stress is playing a huge role because so we've talked about adrenaline cortisol is our other stress hormone and it's our chronic stress hormone so after we've been making adrenaline for quite a while the body starts to make cortisol and but long-term stress historically for the 150,000 years we've been here the only long-term stress humans had were floods and famines and wars and when you think about all of those scenarios food is scarce And so in modern times, our long-term worries come from worrying about relationships or our bank balance or conceiving or our health or health. We might have health concerns for a loved one. But again, the body can't discern between the cortisol we make when there really is a famine and when we're worrying about our bank balance, for example. Mm -hmm. So, but cortisol, it, it makes so many biochemical changes inside of us and it too can disrupt fertility. So it's a catabolic hormone. In other words, it breaks our muscles down. So it slows metabolism. It increases body fat and we thicken up around our middle. You grow what I lovingly call a back veranda. Um, so you get back fat. But the reason the cortisol does that, it's clever. It's just uncomfortable for us, but it's clever because it thinks there's no food and all the organs that keep us alive, except for our brain, are all housed in our torso. So cortisol thickens us up on our torso to try to keep us warm, keep the organs warm, protected and nourished. It also Cortisol also disrupts our blood sugar regulation and it can disrupt our immune response. So you might have once thought, oh, I get a cold maybe about once every five years and now you're saying, wow, I seem to get three colds every winter. So your immunity is not what it once was. 
And so once we move into that state part of the stress response, that's what I call stage two, we can also go into stage three, which is where fatigue happens. You can get thyroid problems. So in other words, when we have chronic long-term stress, which a lot of people do, not because of famines or because of a physical threat to our life, it's for all the reasons, it's from having lots of coffee every day, it's from perceptions of pressure and urgency, it's worrying about what other people think of us, and all of that then turns into this ongoing stress response because most of our stress these days is psychological. So we are rarely without elevated stress hormones. And that, because of the HPA axis, that hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, that's then saying to the ovaries, we're not sure we can ovulate this month mm -hmm. because your body's getting the message your life's in danger, adrenaline, and there's no food left in the world, cortisol. So therefore... Can we allow you to ovulate? Because if we let you ovulate, there's a risk that a sperm can meet the egg and you'll have a baby. So that's one mechanism. Another mechanism is that where fertility is being disrupted. Another mechanism is where we do ovulate, but the lining of the endometrium, so the actual lining of the uterus, hasn't thickened up as well as it needs to so that then if an egg meets a sperm, it can actually embed in the lining of the uterus. And there's there are some environmental factors contributing to that. And then it could be on uh, the side of the, where the sperm's coming from. So sperm, are, sorry, I, it's weird to get excited when you talk about sperm, but nutritionally, <laughs> <laughs> very weird, but, but nutritionally, they, are, they just respond to great nutrition amazingly. So there's, if you can imagine the structure of a sperm, the head of it, it sort of looks like a balloon on a string. Let's just paint a pretty picture of a sperm. So the tail, the string of the balloon, so the tail of a sperm, to actually wiggle and swim along, it, that action requires selenium. And selenium is a trace mineral that's not in Australian soils. It's, and it's really the only food source we really have of it these days are Brazil nuts. So mm. if someone's not eating Brazil nuts every day, you only need two or three, you won't have enough selenium. So yeah, that wow. has a big impact. And then you can, the head of the sperm, where it meets the tail, there's a little structure called the neck. And zinc is required for, for that to be intact. Then the, inside the head of the sperm is the DNA that's going to contribute to the creation of half a human. So the quality of that DNA really matters. Mm. And protection from oxidative stress and oxidative damage. And so you need lots of antioxidants to protect the sperm and we get all of our antioxidant from our colored plant foods. And then around the head of the sperm is a thing called the acrosome, which is, which is what's going to allow it to penetrate the egg. And we need good calcium levels for that. So in other words, so the, the problem with fertility or the challenges people have with fertility obviously can be on either side of, can, can be on the egg side, can be on the sperm side. Nutrition plays a huge role, but so, as you girls just said, so does the stress response. And it's it's really, really hard and it's really heartbreaking when it's not working the way you want it to. Mm. It's just that your body has this extraordinary wisdom and I really want everyone to really grasp this context, the concept, your body responds to the information you give it.
I'll be the first to admit, I spend far too much time looking at my screens. And I'm sure we've heard by now how the blue light from them can be harmful for our eyes. As far as digital eye strain goes, Baxter Blue have had us covered for a while now with their famous blue light filtering glasses. Yeah, I own a few pairs and I'm a big fan. Well, they've actually taken it a step further and launched a wellness range which supports our sleep and stress levels too. I know if I've been on screens all day, especially right before bed, it really affects my sleep and I struggle to relax. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a tension headache. And it's not like we can just quit using our devices and so much of our life is digital. For sure. I highly recommend getting some blue light glasses if you feel the same. I was surprised how much I noticed a difference. And I can't imagine the impact it's having on kids nowadays too. If you want to look good and be an eco-warrior at the same time, you can check out their biodegradable range and know that you're making a difference given the fact they donate a pair of reading glasses to someone in need. You can find a pair for everyone, even the kitties. And don't forget to use our discount code SWS25 for 25% off. So... If you're having lots of adrenaline, if you're producing a lot of adrenaline, it's going to think your life's in danger. So it's another reason why I wrote The Invisible Load so that people can start to make less adrenaline. And can I just add, we think that our stress comes from yeah the, that person or that situation or the family that lives in that house down the road or whatever it is. So in other words, we think that our stress comes from things outside of us. Mm. What we've lost sight of is that it's actually our response to the person or the situation. And I'll give you an example. So, you know, when you walk through the kitchen and you see a pile of dirty dishes, there are days that you see that and you think, oh, I wish someone else would do it, <laughs> and, but it's no big deal. And then there are other days you see the pile of dirty dishes and you think, oh my goodness, my entire life is falling apart. I just, I can't keep living like this. You know, it put, it's like a straw that breaks the camel's back. So the dishes are the same, but our response can be really different from day to day. And Viktor Frankl's work has had a profound impact on my life. He was a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor, just to name a few of his wow. abilities. He witnessed some of the most horrific atrocities a human could ever witness. And he's written many books. One of them is called Man's Search for Meaning. It's profound. Um, but despite witnessing horrific atrocities, he still had the presence of mind to be able to share with us this extraordinary statement, which is that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in that space lies every single ounce of our growth and our freedom. So in other words, we get to choose how we respond to everything. And when I say that, I literally mean everything, even the genuinely tough, tough stuff. We get to choose how we respond. And I think that we so often in our life, we want pleasure without pain, but life is both. It's both of those things. We want praise without challenge or, you know, but both of those things foster the development of our authentic selves continuing to evolve and become visible. And we, life is both sides and we tend to see it as one side or we want it to be one sided. And I think our, our health and our stress is a lot less when we can understand that pain is heartbreaking and it's frustrating and it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's agonizing. Sometimes it means you don't leave the house for a week. But even while that goes on, what coexists is extraordinary beauty. It's just we're not focused on it in that moment. Mm -hmm. When we're happy with our lives, we're not focusing on the things that we don't like. 
back. And when we're unhappy with our lives, we're not focusing on all the great stuff that's there. So our brain is so incredibly powerful and guiding it or being aware of where it naturally wants to go and then guiding it back to a place that then is supportive of you, which sometimes is, is allowing ourselves to sit in the pain, whether it's the pain of not being able to conceive, whether it's the pain of losing your favourite human on the planet. It's Life is painful, but it's also at the same time incredibly beautiful. Mm. Yeah. What you said about um, choosing your responses, I just think that's super interesting because I think, you know, as you become an adult, you do gradually learn that, oh, when I did that differently, it turned out better for me. And, and it's just so, I don't know, satisfying knowing how much control you have over life in when it appears you have no control at all. And if mm. you just did take that extra second to react differently, like things can just go down such a different path for you. So yeah, I love that. And it's almost like the world has got this thing around stress that it's a badge of honor like to be stressed and to be busy and hustling hustle culture hate hustle me too (laughs) but but then in the same aspect I love Mm. you know entrepreneurial women and like women that are striving to achieve things like I think that is so great but then Mm. the the busy hustle vibe just doesn't resonate with me at all and it gives me like it makes me anxious Mm. (laughs) But if you can see that you or you can have a full and thriving life without the rushing and without the intensity. And I think a, a good way to kind of pull it all apart is a lot a lot of times, I know I've done this so much in my life, we when we do things out of duty, in our in other words, we feel obligated or we're doing it because we'll feel really guilty if we don't say yes. So when we do things out of duty, it's really depleting, as mm. in it's really bad for our health and our energy but when we do things from a place of authenticity because we are illuminated at the thought of it or we genuinely want to step forward and say yes to that that's incredibly energizing and so I think the more and this is a belief but I think it's part of why we're here is to be who we really are is to be our authentic selves and I think we're covered in you know there's layer upon layer of, uh, sort of that we need to peel back and that we sort of put onto ourselves as kids and, and adulthood, we get to start to go, oh, that's not really me. Oh, yeah. I don't really like that. And as you say, you can start to go, oh, I can respond differently to that. That was a learned response from before. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm going to take a different path with this. So, yeah. yeah. And when you, you mentioned rushing before and you've got a, you've coined a term rushing women's syndrome I find as a woman, that sounds very interesting and relevant to me. What, uh, how would that differ to anyone else? What, what is, what is so, that? Yeah. Rushing woman's, I've actually just released a course called overcoming rushing woman syndrome to sort of support people after the last two years. That's a conversation for another day. I wrote a book, rushing woman syndrome was the name of a book I wrote in 2011. And I wrote it based on what I would say back then was an emerging trend so women were, I was still seeing patients one-on-one back then and I'd noticed a really big difference, a really big shift in women's health and what women were experiencing. And it was like, it's sort of what I said earlier that we're really capable and we can do anything. It's just that when we don't get enough rest, our body can start to rebel and give us symptoms to let us know that it's not happy with our choices. And so rushing and, and rushing woman syndrome, I think is really only become more intense in the 10 years since I wrote 
originally wrote the book, which was why I did the course as well. Plus people buy the book and they'll say, oh, I bought that book in 2012 and it's I haven't had time to read it because I'm a Russian <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I wanted to find a way to be able to reach everybody. Anyway, so Russian woman syndrome really describes, scientifically, it describes living in what I call sympathetic nervous system dominance. So there are, we have lots of different parts of our nervous system, but the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight response. And the parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite arm to that fight or flight response. It's the rest, digest, uh, repair and reproduce arm of the nervous system. So it's the, the parasympathetic nervous system is the calm arm of the nervous system. I usually call the calm arm, the green zone and the fight or flight response, the red zone, so that it's easy for people to remember. And when we're stuck in the red zone, so when we're stuck with that sympathetic nervous system switched on, it's driven by stress hormones. And so it keeps us in that fight or flight response, always on edge, always alert. So that doesn't, that means our body doesn't sleep uh, deeply or restoratively because it thinks your life's in danger from all the stress hormones. So it's not good for your survival if your body lets you sleep deeply and restoratively. I touched on this earlier when you when you've got when you're full of adrenaline your body diverts the blood supply away from digestion to your arms and your legs because it thinks that's what you get what you're going to need to fight the fight and get out of there so digestion's compromised uh, it uh, also changes the fuel that your body believes is safe and appropriate for you to use so in any given moment the only fuel for the human body is a combination of glucose and fat we're always using that it's just that we will use a different ratio based on what's going on with our nervous system. So based on what's going on with how far into rushing woman syndrome you are. So, so right now we're sitting here, we're using energy to talk, to blink, to think, writing notes, whatever it is, the body is using energy even when we're sitting here, making our heartbeat, breathing. But right now are we using 50% glucose and 50% fat? Or is it more like we're burning 80% fat and 20% glucose or the opposite of that? And when we are in the fight or flight response, so when we're in that sympathetic nervous system activation, which is where rushing women, rushing women live, we, your body will get the message that the best fuel for you to use in any given moment is primarily glucose because it's your fast burning fuel. And all the adrenaline is saying, we've got to get this person out of danger. So we need a supply of the fast burning fuel to power us to get out of this danger. So as a result of that, you mostly burn glucose, not your body fat. And then of course, in response to that, because glucose is the get out of danger fuel, your body doesn't want that fuel tank inside you to get too low in case it needs to keep getting you out of danger. So you're going to crave sugar to try to top up what you keep burning. Mm. But then gradually over time, you almost lose the ability to burn your body fat effectively as a fuel. Mm. And then that your clothes start to get tight, even though you think, I don't understand, I'm not eating differently, I'm not exercising any differently, it's all what I've always been doing, and your clothes get tighter. And it was, so that's sort of, that, that's sort of part of it. It's also understood, rushing women's syndrome with the sympathetic nervous system dominance is also then understanding about the ripple effect stress hormones have through the body on thyroid function, on digestion, on sex hormone balance, that type of thing. And it comes from a really beautiful place. It's rushing women. They, they rush because they care. Mm. And because if you didn't care, you wouldn't rush. 
but I try to get people to take it further and see that you also care what that person thinks of you because rushing women find it really hard to say no and they might be drowning in their own tasks and then someone will say, can you help me with with this? And every bone in your body is screaming no and what comes out of your mouth is sure, I'll help. (laughs) And you think, why did I say yes to that? But it's almost as if we're, we're frightened of saying no because we're worried of what the person will think of us. Mm. And But if you flip it around and think, okay, so if I went to someone and said, could you help me with this? And they said, oh, look, I'd love to, but I'm drowning in my own tasks right now, so I can't, I'm sorry. What are you going to say to that person? Oh, well, that's it. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> You're horrible. We're not going to do that. We'll probably go, oh, I hope the that drowning feeling passes really soon or is there anything I can do to help you? that's more likely to be our response, but we don't see the flip side of that. So we, a rushing woman tend to say yes when they really want to say no. So it's being able to see that it's, it's being able to have flexibility in how you can handle other people seeing you is, is a big part of it too. Mm, yeah. That like people pleasing mentality. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> such a big part. And it's so true what you say. Oftentimes if someone was honest with me and said, look, I'm really busy. I'm sorry. I can't you know, go to coffee or whatever, whatever the case may be, you you really like appreciate that person for being honest with you mm. and for actually telling you and being like vulnerable with you about what they're going through. So it's not, it's not a sign of weakness, not being able to do things and being honest with your friends. I think that's like a really powerful thing that a lot of us, especially young people can adopt. Mm. Absolutely. And it's being... It's being authentic, isn't it? And then in you do, in, if someone does that to you, you then feel like you can be that way with them. Yeah. Like, I mean, we. I wish we didn't need permission slips <laughs> to be ourselves and to be honest, but it's almost like a permission slip that you've got, you can be vulnerable with each other and that just deepens your friendship, which is beautiful. Yeah. Something that um, at the start of this year, I really wanted to inject more into my life is joy because I think it's such a big part of just what I want my life to be like. I want play and joy to be, you know, a constant factor in my life. And you, you use joy as like a medicinal technique. What, what does this do to our brain? Like what does joy actually do and why is it such a powerful practice? That's just so gorgeous, Amelia. So um, joy is something that's available to us all the time, even when we are going through genuinely tough stuff. It's just helping our brain to be able to go there and experience it. And I think in the world we live in, it's really easy to get caught up in the pursuit of everything. So, you know, we used the word hustle earlier, didn't we? So it's like hustling for this, wanting this, pursuing this, chasing that goal and that dream. And that's all incredibly beautiful. And for some people that's really uplifting. It's not my style, but it's a lot of people love that. And I get that. But if you think about what actually brings you joy, it's usually right here, right now. And there's a really beautiful book that written by an amazing lady called Bronnie Ware called the top five regrets of the dying. And she would Kishi was a palliative care nurse and would stay with people until their end, until they passed. And she really wrote uh, in the book, she wrote about uh, what, what they, what people shared and what they wished they'd changed, basically their regrets. And it was not the pursuit of all of those things. 
it was really simple stuff. And when you actually, if you ever get the privilege to talk to people who are dying and you ask them and you're brave enough to ask them what they're going to miss the most in the world, they tell you the most ordinary things and they tell you that they're going to miss the night sky or their beloved, their, their, their beloved's face mm-hmm. or cuddling their dog or the smell of freshly picked parsley or a cut lemon or whatever, it, whatever it is. But it's, it's what's right here right now. And I think joy is about letting ourselves what we have, what we already have. And I think that when we do that, when we sit here and cause if you think, if you see an amazing sunset or you go for a bushwalk and you're sitting on top of a beautiful hill and looking out at a glorious expanse or at the beach and the ocean and initially we we can be quite mesmerized by wow this expanse but if you actually observe your brain your thoughts you'll notice that before long you've stopped focusing on the beauty that's still right there before you and you're thinking about i didn't do this he said this she said this the brain takes over about all the things that are wrong Mm -hmm. so the joy comes i think from letting ourselves have what we already have and that kind of also gives us an energy that's irreplaceable that that level of joy so i think it's a really great practice to to do that and to sit in that to sit in the wow this is mind-blowing that i'm this tiny little human on this planet that's spinning in the middle of our solar system in the middle of our galaxy and it's really good to make it all go really big (laughs) so you just have a giggle and feel the privilege of it all (laughs) i know i often do that like lying in bed i'll just be there like looking at my dogs just in their innocence and you and you think about your the fact that you're just consciousness with like a mind and a body and you're like what the hell like i'm actually amazing like how wild are humans (laughs) Yeah, it's what all life is wild, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we get this earth suit and we get to come here and or earths we get an earth suit to come to earth school. I mean, not everyone's going to gel with that, but and we get to have these experiences and learn and grow and expand our soul and it's yeah, it's just off the charts. <laughs> yeah. And it's meant to be enjoyed. Like life is meant to be enjoyed. It's not just about hustling and ticking things off a list, you know? It's not at all. And sometimes those things, the hustling and the ticking of, off the list, sometimes that comes from a really authentic and genuine place. And sometimes I think it comes from a belief that you're not enough the way that you are. Mm. Because when you think you're not enough, when you believe you're not enough, then you'll never feel like you have enough. Mm. So that's not to, that's not to put down p- the pursuit of things. It can, there can be reward challenge, learning, growth, expansion, contribution. There can be really special things in hustling, in pursuing. Absolutely. Everyone has different ways of going about things. Uh, But yeah, sometimes it comes from that place of not enoughness, which will, yeah, we have to, I think part of why we're here is to also address that. Mm, definitely it, it is the simple things yesterday for example I mean I had like a big day of ticking things off my life admin you know just getting stuff done and my brain was going from one thing to the next and then I just walked past my bedroom door and my bed just looked so comfortable and I was like I kind of just really want to jump on that like not like fully jump up and down but just go lay on it like a child and just like think about nothing for five minutes so I did and I just like literally like dropped the things that were in my hand and just like went and face planted my bed and I was just like <laughs> laying there like 
<laughs> so comfy just for five minutes being like don't think about anything else and I was like oh this is so nice and it's just those little moments that bring you joy I think and or, the fact that you can do that on a random Thursday yeah, as well. yeah. I don't know why that just like came to mind when we we're talking about joy but I was just like you know it's those moments where you let the to-do list go and you just go and do something that feels good for a moment yeah yeah just that's purely the best. feels good that's it you're yeah. not you're not learning anything you just <laughs> necessarily yeah no it's good being a starfish on a luscious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well Libby we are towards the end of our chat um do you have anything coming up that people should be aware of any new exciting like projects in the pipeline or books <laughs> I always have a book in my brain and there's one, I just wait till the concepts are fully formed and there is one that's fully formed. So um, I have co- I have a bit of stuff on for the rest of the year. So I think over summer, I hope over summer I can, yeah, I will create some space and pull that book out of my brain. But my thing right now is creating online courses. I've uh, So I've built a new course called Overcoming Rushing Woman Syndrome mm-hmm. uh, and I have a detox by Dr. Libby course that runs every month as well. And that helps people to understand the truth about detoxification. And yeah, I'm really, really blown away at the feedback we get from it. So it's just 28 days. And I think at the end of it, it helps people be reminded of how good their body was designed to feel. So yeah, there's lots of free offerings as well on my website, which is drlibby.com. Awesome. Cool. Well, we'll definitely leave that down below Mm -hmm. too. Sounds great. Um, before we go, we have put together some would you rather questions that you haven't seen. <laughs> They're surprised. We love doing this with all our guests. Everyone has a different way of thinking about things and different ways that they can get around the questions that we ask. So we're super excited to hear what which option you are going to go with. So the first question is, would you rather never be able to shop at the farmer's market ever again or never be able to take supplements again? Uh, I would, I'd be devastated if I couldn't shop at farmer's markets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do love supplements. This is a really hard one. <laughs> we asked the same question to my naturopath and she was like, guys, really? Like, <laughs> yeah, It's a bit impossible, but no, no, food first. So I would rather if you said I could never have supplements again. Yeah. As opposed to you saying, I'm I'm trying to get there. My brain's trying to catch up with your question. So yeah, no, I've got to be able to go to a farmer's market. Yeah. There's something so wholesome and just lovely about going to a farmer's market. And it's the humans. It's if farmers stop caring about the soil, the world literally will fall apart because the soil is, the soil is everything. And the, so much of the quality of our health comes from 30 centimeters of topsoil and, the fact that it rains so I like to actually meet the humans and thank them for what they do yeah good answer yeah (laughs) um second question would you rather cry randomly for 20 minutes every day or never be able to cry again I would rather cry 20 minutes randomly (laughs) without (laughs) doubt yeah crying love a cry something satisfying about a cry yeah you just feel so great after it you do Okay, the second, uh, the third question is, would you rather have to hunt everything you eat or eat only McDonald's for every meal? 
I would rather hunt everything I eat. There's <laughs> not even a moment of hesitation in that for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we actually didn't get into it, but are you? do you go by any kind of um, philosophy way of eating? Are you plant-based or...? Anything no, like I am. I'm eat. I'm eat whole, real food. So I am eat food the way it comes in nature as often as possible, and very, very few things, if anything, out of packets. There are some things out of packets that are pretty much whole, real food. Like you can make your own hummus in your kitchen, for example. Yep. And that's five ingredients, or you can buy hummus, but sometimes hummus will have a preservative in it, and I wouldn't have that in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. But if you can get, there are plenty now that don't have. Um, preservatives in them so I would consider a bought packaged hummus basically a whole real food Mm. so yeah no I just eat whole real food yeah cool would you rather have oh no you've already answered that would you rather never see sunlight again or never laugh again (laughs) I I would rather never laugh again Oh, that's a big one. Sunshine sunshine is the source of life. It is, we wouldn't exist without it. So I see sunshine, yeah, as the source of life. It's the source of information. It, um, yeah, I would find it really hard not laughing again, but laughing probably doesn't include smiling. So I could just smile and (laughs) laugh and move. Yeah, yeah. I love the like the scapegoats around these questions. It's so good, and you can still feel joy and stuff. It's just you can't actually yeah. physically laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't take the sun away. No. Uh, I can relate because the Gold Coast and Brisbane, or just like Queensland in general, has been so rainy for the last three weeks or like this whole year, and. Sunshine just affects my state so yeah, much. It brings everyone's mood down so much. Yeah, mm. it, it really does. And I just love the feeling of it on my skin and yeah, it grows the vegetables in my garden. My chickens are happier. It's, just, yeah. <laughs> it's the circle of life. We love it. Exactly. exactly. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Libby. And um, where can our guests find you? My, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. My website is drlibby.com and you'll find all my courses there, my books there and yeah, lots of, lots of information that I really hope is useful for people. So I have loved talking to you girls so much. Thank you for your wonderful questions and the joy that you girls bring other people. So thank you. Oh, thank That's so nice. We've absolutely loved having you on the show and hearing all your amazing answers to our questions. So thank you again. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's chat. If you loved what we had to say, hit subscribe, leave us a review and find us on Instagram at some would say podcast. Talk then.